twerking drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, Zach Albetta here, and this is Working Drummer Podcast. This week, I'm talking with Adam Goodhue, who, like me, recently relocated from California to Atlanta. Adam came here in 2013 after spending 16 years in the Bay Area and has put together long resumes in both cities. We want to thank everyone who donated to our Patreon campaign in the month of June, and congratulations to Adam LeGrave, who won our Innovative Percussion Raffle. Thanks to Adam and to Innovative, and even though that particular promotion is over, there are still lots of great incentives to donate on our Patreon page. Just go to patreon.com slash working drummer, and you can check out what you can get in return for various levels of donation. At the lower end, you can get some t-shirts and stickers with our brand new Hot Off the Presses logo and access to some bonus content that we've recorded with various guests. And at the higher levels, you can get a video lesson with one of our past guests like Carter McLean, Kent Aberly, or Ben Caesar, or even be interviewed by me or Matthew Krause on an episode of Working Drum. So where do you go to find a treasure trove of information about vintage drums, custom drums, and legendary drummers? NotSoModernDrummer.com since 1988, Not So Modern Drummer is an institution dedicated to researching and documenting the history of modern drums, the art of drum building, and the legendary drummers who play them. The writers and contributors are some of the top vintage and custom drum experts from around the world. Not So Modern Drummer serves as an online gathering place and marketplace for the worldwide community of drummers who buy and sell, collect, preserve, and play these instruments. It also hosts drum-related events that are attended by drummers from all over the world. This website is easy and fun to explore, and the monthly digital magazine subscription is free. So check out NotSoModernDrummer.com. So I've always thought Adam and I had a lot in common in terms of the diverse resumes we've put together, the kinds of drummers we're trying to be, and in terms of uh, making a professional and geographic transition in our 30s. So it was great to talk with him about all this. Let's get to it with Adam Goodhue. Born and raised in Massachusetts. Born and raised about a half an hour west of Boston. Okay. In a town called Northboro, Massachusetts. Northboro. Yeah, Northboro, kid. <laughs> uh, there's Northboro, Westboro, Southboro, uh, South and what would be Eastboro is called Marlboro. And we're talking suburban central Massachusetts. Fantastic uh, high school music program. We had a killing marching band and a killing jazz band. What would you march a snare. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have Me the too. honor of being the, this is, I haven't told anyone this forever, I, except my girlfriend. I don't know if anyone knows this. I'm the third freshman in the history of my high school to play snare freshman year. Ah. Now there's maybe more, but at least then. Well, yeah, I, I was that kid, but I, I believe it. Yeah. I, I went to a small high school in Santa Fe, New Mexico, so it wasn't, yeah. you know. <laughs> well, and let me take away from the glory of that statement. There, I graduated with like 220 kids. Yeah, so, okay. But it was still a great music program. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you go to college out there? No. Well, so when I was 21, so basically I was did high school in Massachusetts. And then I was going to go to Berkeley like any good Boston boy would. Right. I got in, you know, whatever, the check cleared. 
Uh, well, it didn't clear, it, 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 it didn't, uh, clear in this case because at that time I didn't, I got a little bit financial aid and it was, it cost like $20,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad had just started, we didn't, long story short, we didn't have the money. Right. And I found this out two weeks before I was supposed to move into my dorm. Uh. And so all of a sudden, whew, I'm just like, what do I do? How do I do this? Cause yeah. I'm in a small town and the path to being a full-time musician was not laid out. In fact, you don't do it. You're just everyone. I think 98% of all the kids I graduated with went on to college. Mm-hmm. Um, they all follow a certain career path and they end up 2.3 kids in a white picket fence. Right. So it was really hard for me, you know, being 45 minutes away from the city, not really knowing how to do this. Yeah. And so I'm just living in town uh landscaping uh-huh. and playing like a hardcore band because <laughs> it was like the only gate it's like i literally had no idea like i've been playing drums since i was like six you know started taking lessons in second grade and i just but there was no like hey how do you this is how you do this right so like i mean this is what you wanted to do from an early age and and you thought you had kind of a path laid out or at least the beginning of a path at berkeley and then that was taken out from under you, and, yeah. and you were just kind of left to your own devices in your late teens, early 20s to, like, figure out how to make money and pursue music? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, sure. I mean, it's what I knew I was always kind of good at, um, you know, had maybe a natural from a young age or, like, whatever that means in a small town. Right. But always told by my surroundings, you, this is not how you make a living. But then as you get a little older, I mean, you're listening to bands, so obviously someone's doing it. Right. And so how to how to do that, and I figured, like, what everyone else was doing is you go to college, you do this thing, they train you how to make a living at doing this. Right. So here I am still not knowing how to do this. I'm playing in a crappy band. I'm landscaping. Right. You know, um, and then the next year, it's kind of the same thing. I moved to Vermont for a year did the snowboard thing for a whole year <laughs> started playing in bands up in Vermont. Yeah. Cause I'm still like, what the hell do I do? Like, right. how do I do this? I'm just kind of coasting. Um, maybe could have used a little more direction, but really didn't have any. Right. Like for my parents, they just wanted me to get a job and hopefully go to school <laughs> right. and like whatever. And <laughs> a story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just do something. Yeah. And that was actually one of the, greatest years of my life it was a lot of fun it was with some good friends Mm -hmm. we lived at the bottom of killington mountain vermont and i snowboarded like five days a week because growing up i was a skater and all that stuff so i was really into there was like uh well if i could become a professional snowboarder (laughs) and play drums and whatever i mean at that point i know i just knew i didn't want to work a nine to five right and if i could do the drum thing which i've always done my whole life which is really what i want to do of course that would be amazing well, it's it's interesting you you talked about listening to bands as the first thing that made you realize like well somebody's making a living in music you didn't you didn't have like a role model or a teacher that that you could like look at and point to and say this guy's like playing at local places in my town he's teaching students because like I I had that as a kid yeah. my drum teacher Jeff Sussman in Santa Fe he still lives in Santa Fe like from from day one from the day I picked up sticks I could look at this guy and you know, he didn't make a ton of money, but he had a house, he had students, he had gigs, and he still does. And, and like, I think that was really um, instructive for me about just planting the seed of like, 
you don't have to go on an arena tour. You know, there's there's a middle ground between working a desk job and being a rock star. And it's this guy. Yeah, um, that's huge. And that's awesome. You had that experience. I, I try to I tell my students that from a young age, like the parents, the one out of every 50 kids who's actually got potential. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, hopefully none of my students listen to this. Uh, maybe not one out of every 50. Like what or that really has the desire. Yeah. You get, you know, that you see the look of fear in the parent's eye. And I'm like, look, you don't have to do this just arena thing. It's not either feast or famine. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you split it up like we're all doing, like teaching uh a handful of different kids like if you're versatile enough and right and whatever and and you know for for every drum student even even the drum students that do have talent you know they don't they don't end up pursuing music as a career and that doesn't mean that the drum lessons were a waste of time absolutely you know? I, yeah i it, told them what my high school teacher told me some of the best players he's like man i know this doctor works full-time during the week and he plays a great horn on the weekend yeah and it, it's like i say the same thing you could be and, and even true now dude like some of the best musicians i know have full-time day gigs yeah it was yeah. like this out in oakland it's like this here in atlanta a couple i know this guy he's like oh yeah i do like uh electrical work during the day or tech work and i'm like oh, i gotta hate you i'm like <laughs> they're killing their instrument and they're making like 120 grand right inside, right you know? but i mean even as far as the kids are concerned like you know uh, there's there's a there's a phenomenon I think over in, in over the last ten or fifteen years in in music lessons for kids where like when we were kids we got put in drum lessons because we showed a talent for it we showed an interest we yeah. showed like a drive yeah and our parents were like holy shit let's get this kid some lessons maybe he'll yeah. maybe he'll do something with it yeah. but now parents put their kids in music lessons because it's an activity absolutely it's like soccer absolutely and and that's fine yeah but as a teacher i've had to kind of like recalibrate my expectations about you know what i'm going to get out of it what my role to this kid is um and and looked for ways for it to be fulfilling other than i'm going to coach this kid into being a badass because that's very rarely going to happen. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I'm, I'm dealing with that as well, especially in the area that we both live. There right. seems to be a ton of that. Mm-hmm. And um, design my kind of curriculum around hopefully weeding that out. I don't mind young kids coming to explore to see if it's a good thing that they really want to get into. Right. But what I don't want, and I've had a couple of students leave this year, um, which we, you know, whatever. There's always some kind of turnover. Luckily, mine's traditionally been low but you know yeah you know with the it, typically i find that's true between like say seven and ten yes or seven and twelve mm-hmm. like the parents are like oh they're they have rhythm they're banging on stuff i'm like no every kid that age does that <laughs> especially <laughs> like i'll let you know in a month if you're wasting your your money right you know and these days i don't have trouble doing that i'll first talk to the student i'm like look it's like you said it's setting expectations i don't expect they're going to come in and knock the lesson out of the park every week. Right. Just show me you're putting in some kind of effort or you have some kind of thing. And it's not just another activity. Like I was going to say, I've, I've, I've had to like, what I've had to change is, is not looking for progress. Yeah. What I've had to change is looking for interest and effort. Yeah. Um, whereas like when, you know, when we were kids, if we had the interest and we had the effort, yeah. but we weren't showing the progress, right? Like we, we got taken out of lessons because sure like you're wasting my money if yeah. you're not going to do this. Yeah. Um, but now like, you know, if, if, a, if a kid doesn't really have the talent and isn't really making a whole lot of progress, but shows up every week and is having fun and is interested and is, is in it. Yeah. Like I can, 
I can live with that. I can work with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 And even like trying to get them, like I'll say chart out, um, like for example, brick house, uh-huh. I'll have the, I'll do it. I do all most of my lessons on Sibelius. And then, so I have this song completely charted out the real version, the full version. Right. But then I'll also have maybe two easier versions right. where you don't need to play the, uh, 30 second note pickup. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You could just play, start it on the, the fill or I'll get, you know, get rid of the open hi-hats or get rid of the on the bass drum. If there's songs they really want to play, but they can't technically yet actually play the whole thing, I'll just simplify it because just get get them to get inside the song because yeah. this is what brought them the lessons in the first place. And more importantly, can you hold a groove? I don't care what it is because just say you don't even know how to play Brickhouse. You could show up to a gig and play one and three on the kick two and four on the snare and if it's funky and grooving you can get through the tune right you know so can these kids just like hold down a groove for three minutes at a time which is as you know like that's the tallest order yeah instead of running them through uh you know alfred snare book which is great okay now let's go to the next page because you did that which is there's plenty of efficacy behind that but uh i think you know i started teaching when i was like 24 and i did a lot of that because i modeled it off the lessons we kind of had right up. yeah um and then i think around like late 20s early 30s i was like this is not working i kind of just let it all go and really started focusing much more kids are wearing the headphones now we'll play yep. along the songs maybe not even read a chart for yeah. a while like just play this group the entire lesson as soon as you come in it's almost like a gym you're going to the a, a gym to the gym for a class mm-hmm. uh especially at that age like let's really focus on the physicality of the instrument right like you're gonna as soon as you walk in throw on the headphones we're gonna play this group for an entire half an hour go home because more than likely you'll maybe practice twice during the week mm-hmm. so let's at least get this in now because repetition is the key to that success yeah and and the sooner like you said the sooner you can actually get them playing a song yeah the better like the yeah. less time you i mean like the technique is important the reading is important but if you if you don't hook them with that that juice and that excitement of actually playing a song yeah. soon, like yeah. they're you know a few weeks in, they're going to be like, what what the, this is not what I thought. Yeah. When do we get to play? Right. Well, <laughs> I, I, these days, I try to I I will in the first lesson. Maybe whole note. I have this page where it's like whole note, half note, quarter notes, eighth notes. Mm-hmm. They'll get it within like ten minutes. Right. And then the next thing I have them do, I'm like, now put that right stick on the hi hat, play the eighth notes two and four. Ideally, their first lesson when the parent comes back, they're playing one and three on the kick and two and four on the snare. Right. And I'm like, this is this is going to be hard for you to believe, but this is my favorite beat. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite groove I've been working on for thirty something years. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Like, I've come yeah. Back, like that one or yesterday, I, I taught a kid uh, like got got you know uh, just your typical like R and B. I'm like, dude, this is the blueprint for a gazillion R&B songs. And this kid's a young kid. Mm-hmm. He's coming to me saying, he loves Steely Dan. And I'm like, it's music to my ears. Like, all, <laughs> all these great bands. He's like, I really like bands from the seventies. I'm like, I just, I'm like, I love you. Right. Right. And I'm like, Do you have siblings? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm not going to see you for three weeks. All of me, he's going on vacation. All I want you to do is think about this one beat and be able to play snot out of it. Mm-hmm. Because all these songs you're bringing to me that you're into, this is the main group. Right. Be that with 16 notes on the hi-hat or eights. It's like, you know, there's a handful of like core groups that really define genres in American music. So 
you're snowboarding in Vermont. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're playing in bands. Yeah. At at what point does does your life and your mindset turn to like I'm I'm going to do this for real, like no more snowboarding and screwing around. Well, that that decision got made pretty easy for me at the end of the season. I blew out my knee. <sighs> um, we were getting pretty good, man. We were riding with like the best riders, like on the East Coast. I had friends who were sponsored by Burton and Morrow and like, yeah. all these companies and. But meanwhile, uh, I had the drum set set up in the apartment, and we'd all come back, and they'd want me to play along to Tower of Power, like everything from Tower of Power to 311, because that's what they were all listening to. So I had to like cater to the masses. Right. But uh, um, <laughs> do your trick, monkey. Do your trick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, play that Pearl Jam song. <laughs> Uh, which, you know, I liked at the time. We're talking like 94. Right. 95. No, I'm sorry, 95. The sweet spot of it, man. Yeah, so we're, I was playing in these cover bands, playing all that stuff, and it was a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. So, so your knee is screwed. Blew up my knee, moved back home, because I'm like, there's um, I gotta, There's no future in the snowboard thing for me, and I'm a drummer. Like, right. who am I kidding? Like, right. This was a great year, and it was awesome. I got in shape, lost a ton of weight, um, you know, which was good. Uh Moved back home, didn't have medical insurance, went through the whole thing of getting insurance, got the knee done, and then just kind of spent another year in North Rome, Massachusetts, like trying, like, what the hell am I going to do? You know, started playing with maybe some bands around town, but not, you know, at that age and with that knowledge of how it works, I'm like, I guess you just get in a band. But the thing was, is I really loved all a lot of different styles of music mm -hmm. like legitimately like sometimes we feel like we have to do things to get more work i guess right. one of the the greatest gifts in my career is a true legitimate love for a lot of different genres of music mm -hmm. and wanting to get in deeper than just scratching the surface yeah. than just learning that one one drop or that one generic samba groove for the right. one uh cuban you know, Cascada and that's it, not knowing anything about the Mambo Bell or like what what have you. Right. You know, my, my teacher in Kansas City, uh, Doug Allwater, talks about how the, the music and the styles that you fall in love with yeah. are going to be the ones that you sound best on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And like you can you can learn other styles. You can yeah. you can, you know, incorporate them into your into your skill set. But the ones that like you're really passionate about yeah. that, that really slay you on an emotional level. Like yeah. those are the ones you're going to sound best on, dude. Totally, and and you hear that playing too. And I think like as we're growing up as musicians, at least obviously for myself, uh, there were many years I was really trying to be everything to everybody. Right. Like I want to be the first call guy and the for everything. And the Latin, I'm like, what they call him? I can play that. I'm like, <laughs> How many times a day do we think that? Why'd they call him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, right. And then, you know, because he actually knows how to swing the mumble belt with the Cuban, and you don't. Right. You play the gringo version. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, anyways, spent the next year home going back to good old landscaping in North Rome, Massachusetts, yeah. you know, playing drums all the time. You know, uh, most of my growing up was headphones on. Playing along to all my favorite stuff. Mm -hmm. Oakland, uh, I mean, freshman year in high school, teacher turned me on, like Tower Power back to Oakland. All the Steely Dan stuff went through, like, I love Fishbone. Um, there was like an early Harry Connick funk CD that is called She. Huh. It came out in 93, and the drummers on it were Raymond Weber, Zigaboo Modelist. Uh, uh, who's the other guy? 
Not Arthur Latin. That was before. No, his no, time. no. Huge New Orleans guy that played with Harlan uh, Riley. Not, no, not no jazz guys. R and B guy. Uh, ah, dang. What's his name? Russell Batiste. Russell Batiste. Yeah. 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 He, we've talked about him on this on this podcast before. He's, yeah. I've interviewed a couple of New Orleans cats and and huge influence. Yeah. He's one of the cats. Russell Batiste, Raymond Weber, and Zig. Yeah. And uh, not on this list, but also ended up being a huge influence. Herman Ernest. Mm-hmm. Um, that record blew my mind because every song on that record is a different example of New Orleans drumming. Uh-huh. And it, I was just like, what is this? What is going on here? And then discovered this thing called Second Line and the whole history of that. Right. And that was, that's been a game changer. And I would say since then, New Orleans Second Line has been, is my home plate musically. Yeah. Like how I feel things, mm-hmm. you know, because you can... From there, you can go into swing. The it's the same stew of pocket, you yeah. know. Like, so, like sometimes, like it's like cats are like, oh, he plays jazz, he doesn't play two and four, but it doesn't really make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how can you feel the pocket and swing but not hear the two and four? I understand if you're doing. I mean, it's like I've been doing a ton of backbeat kicks for the past couple of years, so my some of my jazz chops have kind of dwindled a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Like I'm not going to be able to have my A game on a bop gig like I used to. Right. Or if you call a super up tempo. Right. Swing maybe for I'm like oh God really do we have to? Can we play? Can we just play in a mellow tone? Please, I love that song. <laughs> yeah. I'm with you, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm but just... I'm faster on certain things, but it's just a different type of chop, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, where was I going with that? Oh, oh. So the second line thing because you can get into the Latin thing, you can get into the pocket thing, you can get the jazz thing. And for me, it's it's where all these things come out of, you know. Right. And there's you know the blues is in there, even like old school, like a certain type of country, like a gate mouth brown country, or right. Um, so so discovering all this stuff was a, a a turning point for you musically. Yeah. But what was the turning point practically? Oh yeah, sorry, like, I had, had, yeah, <laughs> a little a little drummer ADD moment. Uh, <laughs> We've had many on this show. This well, yeah. <laughs> it's probably buckle up, buckle up, folks. Strap in. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically I started playing with this group and all of a sudden I got a call from the singer one day and he's like, I'm moving to California. I'm like, oh. He's like, yeah, we're going. We're all going. Wow. And I'm like, okay. And he's <laughs> like, I get this place in Berkeley for us to stay and all this other stuff. And for me, that sounded amazing because coming up, listening to Tower, Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah. At that time, Charlie Hunter. Right. Buckethead and all the Praxis people were coming out of there with – uh brain yeah and you know primus and like, i just i just got hit to an old uh, bay area band called cold blood oh yeah <laughs> i didn't know yeah. about that man god it's filthy yeah it's they're killing awesome. yeah i'm friends i'm friends with a, a trumpet player who plays with them now I, I haven't there's a ton of great bay area bands people don't know about like in function uh you know tony tony tone was at it during the 90s and mm-hmm. vogue yeah. i'm talking like mid 90s yeah like there was and you know you could just wiki bay area music scene and it's it's insane are you hip to Atticid? oh those are my boys really yeah because <laughs> i interviewed jamal watson a month or two ago oh yeah and like they're he, he, Atticid. shout out to max uh cowan and daniel cesares <laughs> they're, the, they're the main guys in Atticid, but nice. i played with them all the time before i moved here yeah so for yeah. like for those who didn't listen to jamal's interview Atticid is like a collaboration between new orleans musicians and bay area musicians well jamal's yeah. the only new orleans one i guess that's right they yeah, yeah they he he was like the new orleans ingredient that they added they, but but they're playing all this brings up another point now and we'll get back on that uh original question is the Bay Area, in my opinion, and from my travels, what I've seen, 
outside of New Orleans has the best New Orleans brass band scene. And they're technically, uh, and however this works, they're a sister city to New Orleans. And during Katrina, there was a ton of New Orleans cats who came out to the Bay, which was a very special mm-hmm. time. Got to play with like Kirk Joseph was yeah. out there and like all these other guys. And we were all playing these. Uh, I had a New Orleans gig every Tuesday night at Biscuit Blues for like two or three years. Wow. I just interviewed uh, Kevin Stevens. I know I can't oh, yeah, yeah, I know to- Kevin. I keep yeah. referring to past interviews, but Kevin Stevens lived in San Francisco for a yeah, long Kevin's time and, great, and started Brass Monkey Brass Band in San Francisco. He sure so did. Yeah, the- that was a that's a great example. Um, and I a lot of those horn and and the Bay Area is also what I've learned that one of the special things about it. It took me leaving there to figure this out mm-hmm. is that it's an amazing horn town. Mm. Like there are stellar horn players there. These guys. These cats kill Bob, and they'll kill a salsa gig, but yeah. really understand it. Yeah. Well, New Orleans is a horrible town, too. Absolutely. You know, yeah. So the Bay, and that's why when you look back at these slime, Family Stone, Tower Power, there was always um, a, a great horn section in the funk band. It's Cold Blood and right. all these groups I could go on for days. And there was also a little Latin thing. You listen to the Oakland Stroke. Yeah. And that's based off of Songo, mm-hmm. kind of. We yeah. get into it, yeah. you know. Oh, that group's not easy. I've been working on that for like ever, dude. It, yeah, man. It's one of those if I don't stay on it, right? It'll leave. Yeah, it'll it'll leave. Leave. <laughs> it will. Um, I recorded myself playing it the other day, and I was like, ah, that's just not where it needs to be. And then it took me like an hour or two just to like repeat it. But it's it's a it's a super fun oh, group, man. But yeah, so the band, so Atticate's got some stellar horn players, and it's good. Yeah, they're a great band. People check them out for sure. So what year was it that you like packed up the car with this band, this band, and moved to San Francisco? Well, so this was the deal. They, oh, I'm like, I don't know, man. This is crazy. These guys are crazy. I don't even know them this well. <laughs> and they all split. Yeah. So they actually went. Wow. And I was like, I'm like, well, they did it. They really and then, did well, it. I kind of wanted them to go first and like, yeah, and out. It, it just like just to make sure. Because keep in mind, man, like I'm from the small town in Massachusetts. Like I think we topped off at like 13,000. There mm-hmm. were like two street lights, mm-hmm. you know, so I might as well have been from the country. I right. grew up on a cornfield until I was in like junior high school, right? you know, and um, I just, I didn't want to just go blindly with these cats and then have no money. And all of a sudden, how do I, I ended up taking a train back to Massachusetts and not yeah. with a train ticket by like being a bum, right, <laughs> right. you know? So, um, they went and they're like, dude, you got to come out. They, they were out there for like four months and like things were going well. They were settled and everything was mm. cool. There was in fact a house. There was in fact a house. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget on Bonar street in Berkeley. <laughs> yeah. That's, it's, that's what it's called. Uh, and like, we, we never grow up. <laughs> no, well, yeah. I'm not trying to be like, funny way, but it, it was funny telling my mom, I'm like, this is where they are. And she's like, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? Like your parents were like, just, you need to go to school, like stop wasting your time. And that, that, that's like the new England. If you're from new England, you understand what I'm saying. Cause education is so huge there. Uh-huh. It's like, you just go to college and the story after that, we can have a conversation, but any problems you're having, go to school, right. which is obviously we know definitely not the case, especially now. Right. Um, so I would just, I'll never forget. I was in, uh, town outside of Northboro. I was landscaping 
And I just kind of stood there with my shovel for a second. I was like, dude, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, you either go now or you're going to be a townie. You're going to be in the sound for the rest of your life. Right. And you're meant for much more than this. Mm-hmm. And so the singer came back. Uh, he flew back and we just drove my car for the first time in my life. I drove cross country. Wow. Uh, went all the way to the bay, landed in the bay, took about four days. And uh, the house they were living in ended up, they all had to leave. Oh. So we, I was living in the Jam Space studio for about three months. Oy. Yeah. Just like on a mattress on the floor? Or? Yeah, a mattress in like a little attic space. Right, right. Yeah, and then from there, probably within six months of being there, not even, I joined this great band called Dias Funk. <laughs> uh, what year is this? This was 97. So, so you're like 21? Yeah, 22 yeah. at this point. Yeah. So did the did the band that you moved out there with just not happen and you started playing, Oh yeah. And you started yeah. playing in this other band? Yeah, that band never even saw a gig. Ugh. But it was just and I kinda knew it was gonna fall apart, but I just you just gotta get on that bus sometimes. Right. And get that's on, that's your ticket to the city. That's my ticket right. to the city. Yeah. And I yeah, use it as a caravan to get there. Right. I knew it was gonna fall apart and it did and that was fine. Right. Um, because I was starting to see, I, I didn't want to just put all my eggs in one basket type of band thing. Yeah. I've just seen all with, of, with all there is to do in the Bay area. Like, right. I was already seeing in the Bay, you know, moving there at that age and, and kind of by the time I landed in town, I had like 350 bucks in my pocket. I didn't know any better. I got a job at a gas station. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, we're talking like, and this is the tech thing is all about to explode. And the Bay Area was the capital of that. Right. So it was actually a good time to be there as a musician because you had everyone and their brother was working for these companies that were making hand over fist. Right. And they were just having like corporate parties all the time. Right. The more, Friday parties. The like, more money there is in a town, the more musicians work. Right. like people yeah. spend money on music. Rich people, like music is one of the things that rich people spend money on. They sure do. It's one of the ways in which trickle down kind of works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, <laughs> And then so, hey, hey, can we get a, this company is doing so well. Can we throw a jazz band in the corner today? Right. Like, how much do they charge? I don't know. You can get a trio for 350 Done. Right. Adam, do you want to do a gig for $100? Hell yes. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So fortunate timing as far as the tech boom was concerned. Yeah, I guess so. Fortunate for that. Unfortunate. It was a shift in the Bay where, like, all the Alphabet Soup and the Charlie Hunter Cats that was ending and a lot of those dudes were moving to New York, Charlie moved to New York and all that just right. I got to see the tail end of it. Right. And then, um, it was kind of a new thing that was happening, which was cool. And what, what was that? Well, there was like, during that time, there was like the birth of like Neo soul. Uh-huh. So we're all like, you know, the HR factor came out like D'Angelo, like Brown sugar had hit. When did that come out? Maybe that was like nineties, ninety six or something. So that all that stuff was I always really gravitated to that style of music. Uh-huh. Um, and so that started creeping its way into everything. Um, you know, and I just try to I ended up going to UC 
Berkeley. Okay. The irony is I ended up going to Berkeley. Just not. But L-E-Y, not L-E-E. <laughs> right. And I was, uh, the, the, the funniest thing was, is I was reading all these books, you know, Hunter S. Thompson when I was younger about being this non-student student right. at Berkeley. And I ended up being this cat. <laughs> because I auditioned, they needed a drummer for the jazz program, small that it was, I got in, mm-hmm. but I wasn't even a student, an official student there. So I did their music program for two years <clears throat> without. without paying a dime. You weren't even enrolled? No, I wasn't even enrolled. Like you just showed up on campus. Yeah, they're like, dude, we need a drummer. They don't care if the kid <laughs> goes to school here or not. I was like, okay. And that was a great experience. And I also went to this place, which is now the California Jazz Conservatory called the jazz school where I studied, um, got into some Brazilian classes, got into some, uh, uh, it's where I first learned to really play like Boston Novas and right, right. things like this, which is, I already, the funny thing is, is I already kind of knew I already had to play all this stuff from all my years of playing along the records. Right. I didn't necessarily know the names of it or the construction of these things. Like, club ace being on a two bar phrase and there's a two and three and three two and then right. all this you know learning jazz form and just the standards and most of these the standards i learned on the gig like the first time i probably ever heard um knowingly heard like the standards were on gigs like mm-hmm. even autumn leaves or anything right, right like i learned it like here it is yeah and then sometimes i go back to the original recording and it would sound like not at all how we were playing it but right right it, so that was good and bad because you know, I was just really focusing on swing. I wasn't trying to, for me, it was always like the deeper I swing, the better I'm doing. Yeah. That's, that's a good rule of thumb. Right. <laughs> right. I was just trying to yeah, do that. And, and I, I mean, you, you talk about, you know, you wish you would have uh, gone to Berkeley and, and, you know, gone to the Massachusetts Berkeley and, and yeah. you had a more formal training as far as that. But I think especially with jazz and especially with drumming, well, not just with drumming, but with, with all instruments in jazz, I, I think there's so much emphasis placed on on this, you know, on improvisation and finding your unique voice on the instrument and um, studying the unique voices of the past. Yeah, uh, and that's that's important. Sure. But I think what suffers is is what you're talking about, just the concept of like swinging and being supportive and and you know being a member of the team and not a soloist. You know, and, and both are important, but I, I feel like, you know, it's um, it's just in the last five years or maybe, well, 10 years that I've, I've focused more on just playing time on the drums, no matter what the style is, yeah. instead of coming up with unique, original, uh, you know, singular shit. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of like even now, I don't think I was ever trying to reinvent the wheel or there are people trying to do that. And or just by default have a really unique natural voice mm-hmm. that immediately stands out, being their tone, the phrasing, the set, like w- whatever it is. For me, it was like I want. It was really feel mm-hmm. like, and mostly because of the music I'm into. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I want to play like these guys that I'm into, and right. what's different between me and them, or what I'm striving for. I'm like, yeah, that's great. They got the chops. I could figure it out if I want to practice that. Physically, anyone could play any type. Me, either of us could sit down and Terry Bozio could, we could both learn Black Page if we wanted to devote the next couple months to doing it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and sometimes certain facility people have naturally, but I was really just 
striving and I get in, in, in a way it was a blessing just tone and feel I'm like I don't care I don't need to play these gospel chops right. but I want to have a pocket as deep as these guys that I'm into right yeah. and it's, it's interesting you, you you mentioned the word feel because I think like part, part of the disconnect I was I was talking about a minute ago is is how how drummers view themselves and each other versus how other musicians view drummers I, I think as, yeah. as, as drummers, when, when looking at our own playing or when looking at someone else's playing, we tend to focus more, especially in our younger years, we tend to focus more on content. Yeah. But what other musicians look to us for is feel. True. Content is way down their list. Yeah, of, way down. You know, I don't yeah. give a shit what you play as yeah. long as it feels good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was teaching a student uh, the other day who wanted to learn this song. And he starts throwing in these fills. I'm like, let's not even play and listen to the song again. In yeah. fact, let's listen to all the songs that are on the list right now. Did you really hear any fills? Yeah. Anything? Yeah. Out at like anything over like uh, a fill starting on the end of three. Right. Like there's no fills starting on one and going through a whole measure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like nothing. And I showed him sometimes the dopest fill is the fill, just popping that floor tom right on four. Yeah. You know, just got to boom, pop. Yeah. You know, and it's just like, that's it. And those are my favorite fills. You drop that and the whole place just like explodes. Yeah, yeah. Vinnie Paul did one of the greatest one of those in the history of metal drumming on Primal Concrete Sledge. Nice. Before it goes to the halftime bridge. They go double primal concrete sledge. <laughs> nice, you know. And I heard that when I was sixteen. I was like, "Holy shit, that's it. That's where it's at." <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm, you know, I'm still guilty of, of you know, just being too busy or, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, cluttering shit up. I, I've, I'm, I'm trying to adhere to my own mantra, which is that I've, uh, I've regretted playing a fill a lot more often than I have regretted not playing a fill. Yes, <laughs> and and you know, some days are more yeah. successful than others. Um, I got I got some great advice when I was doing like some uh, jazz competition and when, while I was going to UC Berkeley, and the dr- and the instructor was saying, "I'm like, well, do you have any advice? Like, you know, how was I? Where I'm just like fishing for compliments, right? Or just tell me because I, I feel so insecure right now. Tell me something good, please." <laughs> uh, uh, and he's like, and it was the most awful some like compliment insult. Uh, he's like, I like the word awful some. Yeah, awful some. I'm, I'm writing that one down. Okay, yeah, you yeah. just invented that. And I'm I, I did not invent it, but I, I heard it from <laughs> some other podcast. Uh, uh, whatever you were about to do, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And not that everything I was doing, but there's a lot of like depth in that statement. And I've meditated over the years. And a part of me is like, this guy doesn't didn't know his ass from his elbow. He's some. He was from jazz or from up the Northwest, and maybe he never even, like, who knows if he played, or whatever. But for the fact that it's stuck with me for so long, it just, it means that there's constantly something to learn from that, and it's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. It's like, what that is, typically, is you're going about to play a fill. If the fill doesn't, and I tell my students this, you're either doing, you're either serving the song or you're not serving the song. There's no gray area. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Period. And right. story. And nine times out of ten, if you think this part's coming up and I'm going to do this fill and there's any amount of ego involved, you're now not serving the song. So that's where that piece of advice, like, comes in. Yeah. And, and there's been times where, like, moving to Atlanta, I think I went way to the other side. Like, I would play a shuffle. Mm-hmm. One of my greatest success stories in recording 
was I didn't hit a cymbal the entire time until the last note of the song. <laughs> Just crash out. And I was like, I did it. That's great. Yeah. And, but awesome. sometimes you could go too far to that side. And, but I think it's it's good to go there. And I've been there. Yeah. And now I'm trying to I'm trying to find a a middle ground or not a middle ground still way shifted off to the just the groove thing but right don't i would i would so much rather a band leader or somebody tell me like you know don't feel free to mix it up a little bit right instead of like could you just calm the fuck down like (laughs) right you know i think it's definitely better to err on on that side yeah i've I've heard that a couple times over the past couple years it's like oh man you could do and then so i just finally came to a point where i'm just like it's not what i do and you get you start getting older where you just get comfortable with like if that's what you're looking for, there's a better guy out there for you. Right. And that's cool. You were in San Francisco until just four years ago. Yeah, I was out there for almost 16 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, did I mean, did your experience there run the gamut of, of you know, musical styles? Like, did you ever... Were, were you, did you ever have a steady gig with a band where you were just doing that thing and forsaking everything else? Like, Oh, no, I don't think... I, actually, yeah, I did. For three... I did. For three months, I played with this band, a jam band called ALO. Uh-huh. I went on the road with them for three months. Oof, straight. I, dude, I moved out of my place. It was like, this is it. Yeah. And they're awesome. Yeah. They're still doing it. Uh, they sound great. Mm-hmm. They're a lot of fun. Singers, awesome singer. And... Uh, they're more poppy than typical jam bands. They have a lot of song structure, a lot of groove. Um, and I did it and that was a point, I was probably like 27 mm-hmm. and I was just like, I, and it was nothing against these guys cause great things were already starting to happen. Jack Johnson came in and sat in with us before I even know who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wanted to sign the band to his record label and like all this other stuff. And I just didn't want to devote there were still a lot of other things i wanted to do it just it's like what we've been talking about it's like it just came to the point and i don't know if it was a lack of certain direction or certain hustle i just wanted the music that i loved i just wanted to get better and better at uh-huh. i never thought about trying to get on the cover of modern drummer magazine i was never trying to get uh like all these things that kind of come with it um so you're taking opportunities around town to play the music that you that love, I love. Yeah, the, music was, you the Bay. Play. The Bay was really now it's just been so overrun with money and tech, and it's become so unaffordable. When I left, it was like mass diaspora. Right. Like when I left, it was like 15 different dudes left too. All all my best friends moved to LA and New York, mm-hmm. and it would have been way easier for me to move to one of these two places because at least I would have had friends there. Right. But make a long story short. Um, because of my girlfriend at the time, I ended up in Atlanta, uh-huh. which I ended up I, now looking at what my friends are doing. I think I really I made the right decision. Mm-hmm. But the Bay Area, getting back to it's just got it has a killing R&B scene. Yeah. A great Latin scene, like a legit Latin scene. You know, uh, Jesus Diaz, like Michael Spiro, Sandy Perez, uh, friends, David Flores, Javier Navarrete, like, like these real cats. Yeah. Like they play the shit out of this stuff. Right. They understand it on a very deep level. Mm-hmm. Um, great jazz, too. Great jazz scene. Great bop players out there. That, I mean, think about it. Like, people bag on the Bay now, but Ambrose, the trumpet player in New York, Bay Area guy, mm-hmm. he didn't go to New York and start playing like that. He was already badass before he left. Justin Brown, the drummer, yeah. from the Bay. Dave Douglas. Yeah. Oh, right. I totally forgot. And he about still that. lives there, doesn't he? 
Oh, not, not, I don't know. not that I know. He was there for a long time, yeah. at any rate. Um, and I, let me just say this real quick. While I was studying at Berkeley, UC Berkeley, one of the greatest things that happened is Steve Coleman, the sax player, yeah. ended up teaching there for a couple of years, and I sat in on all his classes. Cool. And that just, that was a game changer. We just ended up studying Parker lines all the time and stuff like that. <laughs> he gave a, a um, list of books to read, and that and being a huge, at that point, Steve Coleman of Five Elements, and still to this day, it's like, there's a stuff happening that's like you can't even figure out what they're doing because right. they're not thinking time signature. That's a whole nother discussion. Yeah, it's on another but level. But it's like, like w- however badass you think your fusion band is, <laughs> don't listen. It's a Genesis and the Opening of the Way by Steve Coleman. It's a double CD set, mm-hmm. and you will be quickly humbled. <laughs> Goodness. Or Dap Theory, which are kids of, they're kind of an offshoot of Steve Coleman. But right. uh, So over the course of your time in, in San Francisco, like you, you're, you're watching cost of living go up and up and you're watching yeah. kind of the the culture of that area change yeah. um by the time you moved out was that like was that a reluctant decision were you like i i can't stay here anymore it's not sustainable or i would yeah. i really want to stay here but like were you over it or were you kind of torn away from it i remember moments before i left of me i just had that moment i finally found a great house i was renting and if things were good, I had zero hustle, though. You know, you're in a place long enough to phone rings. I had a great group of students. I, was, I had a bunch of regular gigs. I was touring occasionally, and it was comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could leave now. It was the same. It's funny, now that we're talking about it, same decision I made when I was on the hill with a shovel in my hand. <laughs> I was like, leave now. <laughs> Yeah. Or forever holds your peace, but right. like all those things played a factor. Um, it's like that Martin Luther King quote it's like faith is uh taking the first step, even when you don't see the whole staircase, right? Right, and if you're going to be a musician, you have to do that, yeah. Like, there's no if you create a plan B, you're gonna fall back on it, like, you just your plan B is just to keep on playing, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, and I maybe, mean, maybe you gotta, you gotta. Uh, be open to different kinds of playing, different yeah. opportunities. Like if playing is what you want to do, yeah. then then you got to have every skill possible to be able to take advantage of an opportunity that comes yeah. your way. And when um, I say play B, I mean like, uh, and, and maybe you're legitimately, now this isn't to say that I've known some fantastic musicians who are a stellar that maybe in their late 40s or 50s were like, I'm done, I'm going to get a tech gig and just play the gigs I want to do. Your life is yours. Do whatever you want to do. But yeah. for the young musicians coming up, you gotta, you gotta eat. You just gotta go at it a hundred and ten percent, and you just gotta suffer through the strife to get to the other side. There's no other way to do it. Yeah. You know, they're really right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you went to school. I mean, even if you go to school full time. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I agree with that completely because I think now more than ever. Um, people uh, or musicians are able to sort of carve out the kind of living that they want to have. Yeah. Like if, if you want to do it full time, if you want to just play, if, if you want to play for a living yeah. and not have to do anything else yeah. for money, then you're probably right. You got to go all in 24 seven, eat, sleep, breathe everything. And it might right. work out. Yeah. But I, I think younger generations are, are seeing that like, it, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I can make money playing. 
I can make money doing this other thing that I'm good oh, at sure, or that sure. I'm passionate about. Sure, 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 sure. Um, and uh, so, or, you know, teaching. Like some people would think of teaching as a plan B. You know, like all I want to do is play. And if I absolutely have to, I'm going to teach. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I mean, if something happened to me, God forbid, and I couldn't really play anymore. Right. Yeah, I just teach full time. Right. Um, right. Yeah, um, I don't mean not. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the music thing, it's like starting your own business. And maybe from what I'm saying, it's like, at least it's where I was mentally coming up. It was like, you're just taught, like, you go to school, you do the same things, you're going to be okay. Right. Like right. the old guard model. Right. And that's, you know, you know I, and and now I get what you're saying about going to college because I, you know, I bought that. I went to college, I went to grad school, I got all these degrees because. Yeah. You know, rightly or wrongly, I believed that just going through that process would set me up to succeed. And it, or, in a certain sense, it does. It, it does in a certain sense, but it doesn't. It guarantees nothing, especially right. in the music world. Right. I think certain kinds of degrees have a, a you know a higher guarantee attached to them as, <laughs> as far as your ability. Like anything to, else? Right. As far as your ability <laughs> to make a living. Yeah. Um, but like I, you know, I, I bought into that uh, that path. I think too heavily oh, and it, sure. I, it's not to say I regret taking that path, but I should have, it, you know, it was, it was, it was on me to, to make it happen. It wasn't just on the process, right? Like I had to use the process, um, in, in ways that I didn't anticipate to, yeah. to make success happen. Sure. Um, I mean, it seems like you've done a good job of that too. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. Well, and as far as making a transition, uh, you know, later in life, like I was, I was in Kansas City for seven years, and moving to L.A. seemed like a big deal after yeah. that. Moving to L.A. at age 30 after seven years in Kansas City seemed like a really big deal to me. Yeah. And in many ways, it was. Mm -hmm. But it pales in comparison, I think, to moving from San Francisco to Atlanta after 16 years yeah. at age 36. Yeah. So what, like, did you have a plan? Were you freaked out? What, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what it was is it, when I was being in love with New Orleans stuff and I was playing a ton of that all over the Bay, um, I really wanted to move to New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Probably like in my late 20s, early 30s, I was here in the Bay. I feel like I had done a lot there. But things kept on happening for the Bay. I ended up touring with Maria Moldar, which I still do once in a while. And that was a great gig to get out there. Um, she did a lot of New Orleans -y type of stuff, and we played a lot of great shows all, all over the country. So every time I was about thinking about moving, um, because as epic as the Bay is, there's just not that much music industry out there. Mm -hmm. It's really all in LA and other places. Mm -hmm. There's just not. There's tons of history, some great recording studios. There's just no industry. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, some people live there. But once they're on that level, they can live wherever they want. It doesn't matter if they live there and they also have a place in Martha's Vineyard. So whatever. Um, I wanted to move to New Orleans. It's when I was doing that gig at Biscuit Blues. I was talking about every mm -hmm. Tuesday night and Katrina happened. Mm -hmm. And then so there was that. And then now all of a sudden um, things just keep on kind of happening in the Bay. I'm in the Bay for another handful of years. Um, and it just got to that point where the girl I was with at the time, her dad was passing away mm -hmm. and she's from Atlanta mm -hmm. um, and she really wanted to spend the last like year with, and I totally get it. Yeah. And it was just like the perfect storm of also being 
over the bay. I was just like, I've hit the ceiling. I, you play every club a million times. Right. You know, you know everyone, and it's great. And that was it. I'm like, this is, okay, this is cool. Mm -hmm. I could just ride this out forever, be the guy, <laughs> you know. Um, and I just, I came home one day from a gig, and I said, why don't you look into your work about that job transfer? Hmm. I'm like, let's do it. Yeah. And she did, and they paid for the move. And uh, her mom had a house, owned some property, had a house for us to stay in. And I'm like, I'm never going to get it on a silver platter like this again. Right. Uh, let's do it. Yeah. And so did you did you do research on Atlanta? Like, did you what What did you know about See, Atlanta? I didn't know as much as I could. Yeah. Like, I talked to all my friends. I Facebook, hey, does anyone have any friends in Atlanta? Right. One person knew one person. And well, and this uh, this might be a common experience that you and I had because oh, okay. before, yeah, sure. before the possibility of moving to Atlanta became real, mm -hmm. I knew nothing about Atlanta. Me too. Musically yeah. or otherwise. Yeah. So you, you had the same experience where it's like, oh, yeah. I might be moving to Atlanta. Maybe I should learn something about that, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. town. Right. The only thing I knew about it musically was like some of the gospel stuff that was coming out of here. I would get those like they, they put out these CDs uh, like a gospel best of yeah. called Wow. Right. And I would get that all the time just because I wanted to hear all the best stuff coming out of the city that has all those best players, which uh -huh. is here in a, mostly here in Atlanta. Um. So I was like, well, there's that scene. I'm sure they're dying to hire a white drummer. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I'll clown it on myself. Um, it's not like that at all. Um, and uh, yeah, dude, I probably did all the research that you did. I Googled everything I could. I saw that there was, you know, I Googled jam sessions. So I guess I was hip to like Churchill before I got here. Yeah. Probably all the same things you were hip to. Like, uh -huh. So I did what I like what I do in the Bay. It's like I love playing. I always had this trifecta of kind of I play a lot of jazz gigs, a lot of blues gigs, a lot of like kind of those three. Mm -hmm. Kind of play some B level Latin gigs. Right. You know, where you don't need it for real. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh uh you know, and just discover those places. So like the Northside Taverns, the just the typical joints, and mm -hmm. then of course the major clubs in town, which whatever. Right. Um but yeah, I didn't so, like, what were your first moves when you got on the ground here? Who, who did you seek out? Who yeah, did you... so I just treated it like, I'm like, this is the best I can do is because I know what it took. Luckily, I had that experience already like you did in, in Kansas City. And uh -huh. you had it in Kansas City and L.A. I had it in the Bay mostly. Right. If this is what it takes to be a full. Because by that point, I already had 16 years of a whole career. Right. You know? Right. And um, so when I hit the ground, and this is, if you're ever moving to a new city, this is like, Unless you have mega hookups and a gig already waiting for you. Even if you already have a gig waiting for you, that gig could end next week. Yeah. As we all know, no matter what it is, whatever the contract says, I treat it like a full-time job. Mm -hmm. Every single day I woke up, went to different jam sessions, went to jam sessions, hey, where are other sessions happening and did that. Yeah. Which was new and different for me because I actually didn't do that in the Bay as much. Hmm. I kind of came up more because I was so young just meeting and knowing different cats and then they recommend you and hire you for stuff. Mm -hmm. And I never thought And jam sessions were scary for me because I being more of like a, just a, a groove guy, like I'm not the type of cat who's going to wow you at a jazz jam. Really? Like if you're looking for that, how it always got the Tony thing. Right. Or I'm more coming from the Grady Tate, Jimmy Cobb, like, yeah, you know, just you'll be swing, like, oh, man, you swing. it's like, great. 
but there's other if there's a lot of people swinging on you know it's not i think my type of playing like you'll hear it more after like the third gig right it's okay. it's hard to get noticed being for being tasteful and subtle at a jam <laughs> session like it's <laughs> right right you know? right um yeah, they're like why is he playing so quiet <laughs> he can you know he's playing oh hey one, one time guy's like man you do that minimalist thing really well i'm like i'm not really playing minimalist man listen to Right, like any of those cats, like yeah. I'm just swinging the tune down. I'm like, I don't need to try to reinvent the wheel every time I play like uh, Day of Wine and Roses. Right, you know, it's like right. who cares? Yeah. Um, and so I just treated like a job. So I went to all the blues jams, all the jazz jams, whatever R and B jams they were. Didn't really, there's not, as you know, much, or I don't know if there is much of a Latin scene here. There's a little bit. A little, uh, oh, sure. Yeah, like Orchestra Macuba and and you know guys like that, but. Probably not like San Francisco. Not at all. Yeah. So went to some of those joints, you know, and I'm not playing Timbales really or anything. So it's those, and I've done some of those gigs since I've been here, but it's, uh, when you play drum set, it's not, you know, salsa gigs, there's really no kit. Unless you have like the hybrid kit or whatever. Um, And then, well, this is important. The whole relationship fell apart. What? Oh, you're the, yeah. And then I moved back to the Bay for eight months. Oh, you did? I did. Yeah. Oh man. And I was gigging more than ever. It was great, but I just realized I didn't want to be there anymore. I just it just came down to this. I'm like, from what I saw, what I saw from Atlanta, I always wanted to live in the South. And this goes back to like not ever trying to be like the guy on the internet or whatever. I'm mm-hmm. like, I want. I'm trying to follow this sound and this feel and this music. For me, making it would be playing the like most realist juke joint in the South. Yeah. Getting that pocket and right. being hired by those guys. Yeah. And so for me, that seems more appealing. And you've played how many gigs at Blind Willies? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's the spot. And that's the spot. And then, you know, and elsewhere, I've played some of these juke joints. It's like super like in Alabama. Right. Or like, I mean, what you've only been the, here for about a year. But well, wait. I know about Bradfordville Blues Club down in there, right? Tallahassee. I haven't played there yet, oh, but, dude, but I will. know about it now. Yeah, so. yeah, you will. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. For people who don't know, Bradfield, uh, Bradfordville. Bradfordville. Bradfordville Blues Club. There you go. Is the place that they show on Ray, the movie. Uh-huh. Where he's a young kid and he's just learning how to play piano. They film that there. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know. So that. this joint dude is legit. Yeah, the it's original like the Spanish moss on the trees outside. It's right. like, a, and it was on the original Chitlin circuit. On the absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one of the big spots. So, um, I when I decided to come back to Atlanta, I'm like, I I want to do this for myself. I always wanted to live in the South. At that point, I had spent enough time in New Orleans and gigged there enough and knew enough people. To, I felt like as amazing as New Orleans is, Atlanta might have a little more national um, exposure and connection. Yeah. Where New Orleans, you can have a fantastic music career and play amazing music with amazing musicians. And sure, you'll tour whatever, what type of group you'll get with, but you could just stay in town the rest of your life and be cool. Right. Where Atlanta has proven to be a great hub for the rest of the country. Yeah. Like, I've, I've said this before. I feel like Atlanta is is like the happy medium between a place like Kansas City or New Orleans or, or one of those kind of insular cities and a, a world hub like New York or L.A. Because I feel like Atlanta has kind of both of those yeah. things going for it. There's a great local scene. You can stay in town. There's sure. lots of gigs, lots of opportunities. There's great players here too. Totally. Great drummers. World-class like, players. World-class. Like, like, yeah. Killing. yeah. I would but, say by the, when I left the Bay, there's more here in certain regards than there was there by the time I left. Really? 
at least maybe it, it just has different things like Atlanta, what the Bay didn't have that, okay, what the Bay didn't have that Atlanta has is the killing strat telly guitar players yeah. who know how to play real rhythm guitar. Not, there were a handful of these guys in the Bay, especially in the R&B scene, that destroyed it. The great right. Jibu Smith is from the Bay Area. I could rattle off a bunch of that everyone would know that are killing. Mm-hmm. But just like you could throw a rock and hit an amazing telly player out here that totally. they sing their ass off. Yeah. You know, all the tunes, they got the feel. And know. there are so many guitar, well, not so many, but there are a couple of specific guitar legacies that are alive and well, one of yeah. which is the Muscle Shoals thing. Oh, Just right. all the, you know, all that, all that telly part playing, yeah. you know, there's that, but there's also the, the, the Dwayne Allman legacy with, oh, you know, sure. playing the Gibson slide. Yeah. And like you, you hear that, you yeah. hear one or both of those things yeah. in, in almost every good guitarist around here. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, like you, it was something that I didn't really experience or understand until I got here. And I noticed it in all the guitarists. I was like, there is a different thing down here as far as guitar goes. And, yeah. and I love it. <laughs> yeah. And you hear in bass too, like there's a ton of the P bass. Yeah. Cats. Right. And for me, you get telly and P bass. Give me a recording custom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm playing old Slingerland now. Uh-huh. But it just those sounds. Those yeah. are the sounds I love, mm-hmm. you know? And uh and, and that music. And yeah, these guys, the guitar maybe in some places they really need a drummer to make that shuffle pop. Right. But here they can do it without you. Right. So right. you better start playing. And this is the cool thing about Atlanta is that you get you get the benefits, you get the musical benefits of all of these southern musical legacies. Yeah. But you also get the benefit of of, of a worldly cosmopolitan city. That's getting more and more both of us coming from California. I was concerned about a whole bunch of things like oh, where am I going to get burritos now? <laughs> the that stuff and like, you know, maybe politically and like uh-huh. like all this other stuff yeah um and atlanta is a very very blue dot in a red sea yes. and this is actually the well i'm coming from mass going to the bay area and this is my first time living in a red state yeah and for good or for ill man like the cost of living per income is pretty great yeah and it, i think atlanta is like one of the last places you can rock a middle class music lifestyle. Yeah, I think there. Well, I think there's a lot of places like that, but the, oh, okay. the first tier cities, sure, New York, L.A. You know, yeah. the cost of living there is out of control. Are we? Is this? Would you? Would you say the second tier city? Or I would. I would. Tier? I would say this is second tier. Yeah, I would. I would put this. Yeah, with I wasn't like, sure if it was third. I was about to get depressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, just in terms of population, um, right. and and well, it rivals the Bay now. It's like seven million or something, right? Right, but I mean, I think of you know, in terms of just population and and sort of its place on the world stage. I think of New York, LA, and Chicago as the first tier. Yeah. I think of places like Atlanta, Houston. Um, you know, San Francisco probably is as the second tier. Yeah. And then, you know, your New Orleans, your Kansas City, your Seattle, right. those kind of places, third tier. That's yeah. completely arbitrary on my part. I could be full of shit about no, it. No, But that's just that. kind that's of how not, I break it That sounds about right. Yeah. In like my Portland. Part. Yeah. I don't know. Is Portland? That's like a second, third. I'd say third. Third. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. Where, I mean, where young people go to retire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so the, you, you have been touring with a, a New Orleans based artist 
whose name is escaping me right now. You did it last summer. Oh, Seth Walker. That guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are you still yeah. are you still doing stuff? No, I mean he's Seth is killing. Uh he not as much now. He uses guys. It's it's the modern model where it depends where he is. Right. He just came through Atlanta, mm-hmm. but he was already on the road with a group of guys. So right. now it's like if he's in New York, the Northeast, he's there's like two two guys he uses or whatever. Right. I did a good bunch of gigging with him for a year and I think we really enjoyed working together, but I think it just became financially yeah. what he can save. When you think of me, Adam Goodhue, and there's an extra couple hundred dollars attached to it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, you yeah. know, instead of having to fly me out everywhere. Totally. You know, but we're still, yeah, I'm sure right. it's still going to happen. But, but you got you got a little bit of a, of a full circle thing because you had this, this long love affair with New Orleans music and New Orleans musicians. And even though you didn't move to New Orleans, you, you found yourself in a New Orleans band. Yeah, which is funny because when I first moved here, um, I created in my head... I'm like, oh, this will, I'll create, here's this word again, trifecta. And I, between Nashville and New Orleans, right. there's this kind of triangle here. And let me make the most of that. That's where I'm going to set my sights, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, Seth was great. Seth isn't, he's more like rootsy singer-songwriter E. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot of... It's not the like no second line. <laughs> so when I was, say, playing play with Maria, or when I played with other guys from, there's more... Things that require of that New Orleans feel mm-hmm. and knowledge of the the history, right? Points of reference, right? You know, this was more like playing lightly behind a singer songwriter. You getting married? Married? When's that happening? Well, we're trying to figure it out. We have to. We're looking for a new place to live. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And yeah, this year. Good. This Good. year, yeah, it's gonna be real small. Good. Yeah, you too, right? Oh, you're already married. Oh yeah, I'm, yeah. Sorry, I'm, you got the. I've been in it three years, man. I'm an old pro. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're. Get, I don't know. Are you guys planning on kids? No. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we are either. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, between the two of us, we have like ten nieces and nephews. Right, and we've we've got a couple nephews. Um, Excuse me. But uh, yeah, it's just not it's just not a priority for us. Like some some people really want to be parents. Yeah, and. You know, we just don't have, it's it's not high on, on our list of stuff that we want to experience. Yeah. Not because we don't like kids, just because we're like, we're cool. No, and you're great with them. I mean, you teach on the side too. Yeah, right? yeah. And I, I feel the same way. It's like the parents are like, oh, you're really good with the kids. And you can be great with kids and really like them and not, as Rachel said last night, we actually talked about this last night. That's funny you bring it up. She's like, the, one of the best things you can do for the world is not have a kid. <laughs> It's true, man. But if you already have one, they were meant to be. Right. Uh, yeah, we're not talking about your kids. Yeah, we're just talking about <laughs> our non-kids. Yeah, I mean, it just comes, really what it comes down to, man, I, we're in a similar position. Both of our ladies work full-time. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, let's imagine last month, now throw a kid in there. Yeah. And I just can't. I'm like, I'm like, baby, I don't think, I'm like, um, I could take care of the kid in the morning. Like, okay, that would all work. Right. But if I have to do rehearsals or if I have to go on the road or if I have a teaching that starts, say, like when kids get out of school at two. Right. It's like you can't all of a sudden get out of your nine to five all the time. Now come home at one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. And we're not making enough for. And it's it's not to say that people can't figure it out because you and I both know, we know tons, tons and tons people. of musicians yeah, that yeah, have yeah. kids, so people can figure it out. But I think you and I are in the same boat, which is we don't want it bad enough to have to figure it out. Right. 
And also, uh, uh, people a podcast land that uh, Zach and I actually have a Men of Leisure Club. <laughs> no, we, we we don't. But I'm thinking about starting one. <laughs> yeah, man. I just like you know at this point in the game, I'm like you know, forty, and uh, yeah, I just been doing this long enough where I, I I like getting up. I like having my quiet. I like a lot of quiet time to myself. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about earlier, I'm total podcast junkie. Yeah, and uh, I like waking up, having a coffee, listening to something, going to the gym, taking care of my body because yeah. I want to be doing this the next twenty years. How I treat myself now is really going to dictate how the next twenty years is going to go. Mm-hmm. Am I going to allow myself? You know, am I going to stay in shape and all these? Other, not saying a kid's going to take away from all that. It can. It sure can. Happen <laughs> a lot, and I just seem like. It, it just when it doesn't work. If it happens, great. But right now, right. Yeah, we don't see it happening. Right. So, um, how does how does Rachel treat your career? How does how does was there a, a sort of adjustment period that she had to get, oh, like get the, hip to what you did, do? Did I have to sit her down at for a training seminar like they do if you get hired at a yeah, pizza? Like this is <laughs> this is what my life is like, and this is what you're signing up for. Or was she kind of on board from the start? Yeah, you know, I mean, I've been I've had a. a a couple of long, uh, enough relationships because we started, we've been together almost three years mm-hmm. where I didn't, and you know what? I didn't really have to say much to her. She's been like amazing. Mm-hmm. She's totally cool. I'm like, I have a gig. This is it. She's like, great. She, she's a music lover. We met at Blind Movies. Cool. You know, she was working there. Yeah. She, she's a singer, a great singer. Mm-hmm. Um, and is totally great. Yeah. We haven't had to cross the bridge of me having to leave for a m- month. Right. Which I'm not, you just had to do recently, right? Yeah. I'm not, it's hard because I'm not, I'm looking forward to it. If it's the right, these days for me to go on the road for that long, it's got to pay X amount of money. Yeah. Like otherwise it's just not, you know, cause doing well enough in town and within the surrounding eight areas, mm-hmm. I, I mean, eight hours. Um, cause within eight hours of Atlanta, you have the whole like Midwest East coast. It's like, yeah, everything's here. Yeah. Um, to where, and I, I would love for like, if I did, like she could come with for periods at a time where I right. could come back and, right. but she's like, I got super, super, whatever problems we might have, which are very few in that regard, I got super lucky, Yeah, which I'd have, that would, it'd just be too much. Yeah. I think I've done a good job of sussing that out. Mm-hmm. before it gets serious. Right. And I was going to ask, like, is, is there something about this relationship and this person that, that you're like, yes, she gets it. This is the one I'm going to marry that, that in previous relationships when you were younger um, didn't yeah. work or, you know, made it crash and burn. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I mean, older, healthier, we both enjoy like, uh, do a bunch of yoga together, mindfulness type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I go to the gym, she goes to dance class. So we're both, neither of us party anymore. Right. You know, I definitely had my time with that and just kind of decided I was a better person without it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's the marriage of those situations coming together, right. lifestyle based stuff, like things we find, uh, valuable in life, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, how about yourself? Well, in terms of what just, uh, like was that i mean and she's been great with you like touring oh yeah totally and i mean christina like i'm i'm 
my my case is kind of an exception as far as as far as uh, who I married because you know Christina and I were best friends for thirteen years before we dated. Oh, crazy! I didn't know that. We met in high school. Oh, cool. And, and we were be- like, she was a musician, you know, she, oh, wow. she was on, you know, she was a music major in college for a while, but then ultimately went on to other stuff. But so, you know, she, she saw my entire development as a musician. That's a- amazing. A and B, she saw all the other relationships that I went through and why oh, they didn't crazy. work. So by the time us dating became an option, she knew exactly what she was signing yeah. up for. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's yeah. not to say that she just gives me carte blanche to do whatever the hell I want right, to do. Right. Um, you know, me and Matt, my, my podcast partner have talked about this. Me and Kevin Stevens talked about it last time. It's like, if, if, if you're with the right person as a musician, they, they hold you accountable to be the, the best busiest musician you can be. You yeah. Know? She's, she's getting absolutely well said. I mean, she's getting, she nudges me in the right ways and doesn't let it go in other ways. If I need to sleep in and she calls and it's 12 o'clock because I was just playing for four days straight right. and I wasn't getting home till like three in the morning, four in the morning. Yeah. I get, if you get home at three, you're not going to bed at three. Right. You're going to bed at four thirty because yeah. damn Netflix. Yeah. You know, and whatever else. House of cards. Yeah. Damn you, house of cards. Um, sons but, of anarchy. Um, but, uh, yeah, she's nudging me in the right way in terms of like maybe being a little more visible on, you know, getting some of those endorsements and things like that. And, right. you know, what do you, let's get this gig that you're capable of getting. That's, yeah. You know, uh, not that I don't have that drive myself and aren't always searching for that. Right. Because really, I'm not looking for it's going to be the right combination of musicality and like financial security. Right. But I, I think you're like me in that being accountable to someone else helps. For, uh, yeah. Just left to our own devices. Oh, no, we no, might no, make no. something happen. We might not. But if we're accountable to someone, especially someone we love and want to stay with, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that really lights a fire under you. She sure is like, yeah. yeah health department. She's super healthy and all that stuff. And that she's, you know, at the house we're vegetarian. Mm. I'll eat a bunch of meat. I, I kill. I live next to the best rib place in Atlanta, it which is Fat Matt's. That's the best rib place. Yeah, better than Fox Brothers. They, well, the argument is either Fox Brothers or Fat Matt's. I, I'm a Fat Matt's guy. Well, I mean, as as a seven year Kansas City resident, all these are like you know a distant second place <laughs> for me. Oh, but, oh, oh, snap! But yeah, <laughs> ribs, ribs notwithstanding. Anyway, yeah. um, but I mean, it just it sounds like it sounds like you you kind of got with. Uh, a, a person who's uh, gonna gonna f- facilitate a music career, not stand in the way of it. Absolutely, yeah, and I, and I'm pretty clear about that at the beginning. I'm like, if it, not to be so cold, it's hey man, it's always the music, right? You know, but this is who. It's not just what I do; it's also who I am. Yeah. It's how I walk in the world, mm-hmm. and so if there's any rub against this, it's not going to work, right? You know, I'll understand if I've just been gigging a ton and then you want to have a night and then we have a night open together and I want to go to the gym instead of going to dinner together. Right. And you get upset. I absolutely understand why. And we'll quickly (laughs) rectify that. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, I get it. And yeah, so I guess at the end of the day, Atlanta, it's really, I, you know, I'm following the sound. Mm-hmm. That's is all I've been doing now. Looking back on it, it takes a while to figure out. You don't always know what you're doing until, until you have some like history behind to like yeah. pull it all together. Yeah, and uh, 
it's it's proven great, man. I mean, I just you know you take that first step and you go where you want to go, even if that scene's not there anymore. Like you know, I go I move out to the Bay Area because I'm in the Sly and Tower right, in all right. these bands, and like, dude, that was the '70s. I moved there in '97. <laughs> yeah, like they're still playing around town, you know. But there was still there. I was more interested in what created all that. Yeah, right? the 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 the. The ground, the fertile ground, uh, like uh, from where that came right. from. You want to breathe that air. I want to, yeah, yeah, yeah breathe that air. It's like you want to rock with uh, uh, Timberlake. Move to LA, great, awesome. Right. Which I would love to do, uh-huh. just in case you're listening. Uh, I don't know if Justin listens to this podcast. He might, man. He plays some jokes. <laughs> uh, it, uh, you know, so just like that southern pocket and come and moving here, I'm realizing really. A lot of the great music in this country and really all the stuff kind of comes from here. Yeah, a lot of it. Not all of it, but a, a lot more than, than people think. Yeah, and I just, you know, I was old enough and had done it long enough where I just didn't want to. I don't want to do New York and do the whole hustle. Yeah. I just was over it. And plus, I didn't want to devote all my time to jazz. Actually, moving to Atlanta, I consciously was like, if I get jazz gigs, people call me, great. I'm mm-hmm. not going to seek them out at all. Right. I'm really, I love playing backbeat. Mm-hmm. Not that you don't have jazz, too. You don't have saying like, yeah, yeah. a pocket pop, R&B. Even, I think some of the best music is happening in Nashville and country right now. Mm-hmm. It's the last place where you get killing guys who focus on tone, feel. Yeah. Uh, on, on the real country stuff, like, right. say, a, a Jamie Johnson record, a killing drumming. Killing sounds, killing recordings, like mm-hmm. where everywhere else is drum machines and, and program music, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so true. one of the last places where this is really happening is here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when it's happening in New Orleans, happening in Atlanta. Being here being the South. Yeah. yeah. And I wanna I, I I might have one move left in me. I'm really kind of been looking at Nashville lately. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Wow. If let's put it this way, if I had a gig that brought me there. Uh, I'm not just going to up and move right now. I, I love Atlanta too much and it's yeah. too good to me. But like, if I had any gig right now that would bring me there and kind of pay for me to be there, I'd, I'd go to Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. It's a good place to be, man. It just seems like a lot of... But I, I heard like everyone and their brothers moving there every day. It seems like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, this... <laughs> uh, you know, Matt... We, we tag team this podcast and, and Matt handles Nashville guys and gals. Uh-huh. And, and I handle the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And yeah, I, I listened to that podcast with a shout out Derek Phillips. He's <laughs> another Bay Area guy. Oh yeah, right. New right. York and then to Nashville. But, but my, my point is like Matt has been, you know, Matt was doing this for a year before I came on. So oh, in, cool. in total, Matt has been doing this for two and a half years and has yet to run out of Nashville drummers to interview. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, a bummer. It's, yeah. <laughs> Sorry to hear. So, it looks yeah. like I'll be staying in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm sure, I'm sure there's work, you know, there for, for a lot of people, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think if we stick it out here in town, which it sounds like we're both going to, mm-hmm. I think we'll see the rewards of that because Atlanta is just getting better and, yeah, and it's not like sticking it out in the meantime is suffering. Like in the meantime, no, there's just yeah. great music, great opportunity here. But I agree with you that it, it really has the potential to go nowhere but up in terms of the, the music infrastructure here. Yeah, there's more music industry here, say, than there was in the Bay. But it's, it's still not a – well, in, in a certain regard, it is a major industry town. Say the hip-hop, maybe some gospel. Yeah. Maybe some other stuff. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have the wide mm-hmm. umbrella – 
music industry thing that say LA or Nashville has. Right. Atlanta and and cities like it just seem like a more sustainable, accessible existence as yeah. a, as a musician. You know the um, the infrastructure is kind of closer to the ground, and and you can latch onto it and yeah. and ride it instead of being at the top of the roller coaster in LA and then slamming. <laughs> right. You know, it's yeah, it's a little more of a smooth ride. Yeah, it's <laughs> enjoyable. I just you know, it comes to the point. It's like I like. Sure, I like going on the road with a cool band. Who doesn't? You mm-hmm. know, with music you love playing, and hopefully it pays well as well. But I also love just being in town and sleeping in my bed every night and yeah. like playing like four different gigs in a week, different yep. st- music stylistically and different cats. And you know, some bands roll in every two, every, every some gigs roll in every two months, some roll in once a month, some roll in once a week. You know what I'm saying? Right. The cycle. So right. it mixes it up and it keeps it interesting. And, you know, go exercise. I could go to my favorite restaurants. We're both kind of foodies. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and just day to day life here is is easier. Like you know, you you got to get your parking validated to go to Trader Joe's in L.A. Um, oh, you did. Just yeah, yeah, just that kind oh, of. Oh, it's like that debate too. It's right. Like, I mean, yeah. just that kind of day to day nuts and bolts shit yeah. uh, is you know easier and cheaper and lower maintenance in a place like Atlanta. And some people are willing to pay the price of admission in in terms of pain in the ass. For a town like L.A. or New York, you know, I've talked to some New York cats on the podcast and they're like, yeah, it's it's impossible. It's a pain in the ass and expensive, but I love New York and, and yeah. I'm willing to, you know, pay that pay that price. It's tough. man. I mean, those places will like it's amazing. I have a, one of my best friends, bass player, bass player just moved to New York at, at 40, 40, 41. Yeah. And, you know, you're around. The, he wants to do the jazz thing and he was one of the best jazz guys in the Bay. But now you're among, you know, the 1% from every town in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's like, it's pretty humbling. He's, he's doing okay, but it's, it's definitely yeah. a, it's a grind. Well, man, uh, continued success in Atlanta for you. You too, Zach. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks Love, for talking. Uh, work at Drummer Podcast and uh, the best to you all. Thanks, man. Cheers. Thanks, brother. There you go. Adam Goodhue. Really want to thank him for taking the time. Don't forget to follow us on social media, share pics and videos of your gigs using the hashtag working drummer, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a rating and review there. That's very helpful to us. Thanks as always to Mike Jackson for his technical assistance and thanks for listening. Thanks.